the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let's get it underway for a Thursday. Of course, Jr. is going to be here. Jr. Davis is going to be with us today. And uh, Gilmore Davis Group. And as well, we'll be joined by Seth Mays, who is with the Arkansas GOP. And good to have both of them here with us today. And guys, yesterday, the Democrats up in Congress uh, voted to basically cut police. Unbelievable. Are you are you familiar with what went down yesterday? I've been pretty tied to the session, so you're going to have to bring me up to speed on DC. Okay. Okay. Well, let me let me bring you up to date. They they decided that they wanted all kinds of unfunded mandates followed, and it's going to cost millions of dollars. And uh, the uh, majority leader of the of the Senate. Uh, McCarthy said that it will cost at least 3,000, if not more, police jobs to do what they're asking to do. So what they literally did is defund the police uh, without making it look like they defunded the police. How's that for a move? Well, it sort of reminds me, Dave, of, of what a lot that we had discussed, I know, last year during the uh, the summer of unrest and that uh, polling all across the board shows, and, and particularly among minority communities, that people would be okay maintaining the current amount of law enforcement on their streets, but they actually trended to want more. You know, the number of people that want less that that support this idea of def- uh, defunding the police uh, and removing police from their communities is actually quite a minority, even among minority communities, the majority of, of which want a police presence um, um, in their communities. And so I think people, you know, really of all backgrounds support police. And I fully take you at your word on what House Democrats did yesterday. And I think it just shows how out of touch they are uh, with a lot of with a lot of the average voters. But if you look at for instance, somebody like Cory Bush out of St. Louis is somebody that has been with the Black Lives Matter movement since its inception many years ago um, and is now walking the halls of Congress as a member. And so I think Speaker Pelosi has to continue to listen to this wing of the party, the Ayanna Presley, Jamal Bowman, AOC, Cory Bush, a new Democratic waves that, that she sort of held hostage by. In, in pushing some of this progressive legislation, but then I remind myself that 
Nancy Pelosi herself is from San Francisco, so perhaps none of this is really an ideological jump for her. No, I don't think that she's making any kind of jump, uh, to be honest with you, Seth. I think this, you're seeing the real Nancy Pelosi here. What do you think, uh, uh, J.R.? Is this the real Nancy Pelosi, or is this Nancy Pelosi, and she'll say, well, I had to do it because that's what my party want, wanted to have done? As far as the defending the police aspects, you know, we saw uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I think that's a, probably um, a good reason why, uh, Republicans picked up so many House seats um, in in 2020 uh, was because of this this fear that the Democrats were going to try to defund the police, and I think it's just another example of um, you know y- y- these these big metropolitan areas versus the rest of the United States. Because as Seth said, you know it's exactly right. People want more. Uh, uh, policing in their communities as far as just presence and making sure they're safe. Um, and that's exactly why you see at the Capitol right now in Arkansas, there's such a big push to support our police officers um, through the back to blue measure and some other things going on up there. But it's just, it's just a, uh, it's just once again, um, the perfect example of Washington being out of touch with the rest uh, of America, or at least the you know the Chicago's, the San Francisco's, the Seattle's, the New York's, being completely out of touch uh, with the heartbeat of America, um, and and people want more, and people appreciate their police officers. They want that protection. Sure, are there some bad actors? Yeah, absolutely, and they there's bad actors and everything that's out there, but um, people understand the need for police officers and the protection, and so forth. You know, Washington to do what they did uh, yesterday. We'll see what comes from it, but uh, but certainly sounds like a step in the wrong direction. You know, do you think sometimes Nancy Pelosi uh, pushes some of these really, I mean, real radical? The Equality Act is a radical piece of uh, legislation. Do you think that she pushes it knowing that they get to the Senate and they're dead on arrival? I think that is is. Certainly, probably part of the calculus on her part and President Biden. I think, you know, if you look at his track record, it it gives him a little bit of joy to tell some of the left. It's like, you know, oh, dang it, we just can't have Nira Tandon as OMB director. Well, I, I can't pass H.R. 1 when it gets to the Senate because we have the filibuster and that serves an important role. Uh-huh. And so I think it makes a good uh, sort of punching bag from his perspective to beat up. Um, on those on those institutional blocks, if you will, knowing that they're not going to go somewhere. But as, as Jr. said, I you know I believe Speaker Pelosi. The the first thing she believes is staying Speaker, okay, and she believes in nothing as firmly as she has believed in that. And, and so th- that is priority number one. But I you know hey I I think they believe these things that they pass the de- the defunding the police the HR one. I I really think. Uh, Pelosi and, and the Democratic caucus as a whole believes that stuff, but they also uh, get a lot of joy, and now I have found the word I wanted to use, in making a foil out of Mitch McConnell and the Senate. You know, those dang Republicans, they stopped us, you know, from this progress and so forth. Okay. You know, I, I just think that that's part of their game plan, that uh, some of them don't even really believe in half of the stuff that they're pushing nor voting for in the House, but they know that uh, the Republican uh, conservatives have their 
their back covered uh, over in the Senate because if a lot of this stuff ever does become law, this country changes drastically. I mean, the uh, Equality Act is a perfect example because it, it does not fall under RIFRA, and because it doesn't, uh, they can uh, make statements like, we're going to make doctors perform ab- abortions no matter what they feel or how they, they think about it. Uh, we're going to make churches uh, allow people uh, to come to their churches that maybe don't represent what the gospel says. I mean, there's just a, a ton of stuff there that if it, if it got to be law, it'd be very, very dangerous. And uh, we had uh, the Heritage Foundation on, on Tuesday with the uh, Bible guys. And I'm going to tell you what, Scott Stewart and Steve Hess sat here with their mouth open. They could not believe what the Equality Act would do to their churches. Whichever. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say, Dave, I think that um, there is so much. Um, I think with Nancy Pelosi and the, and the current leadership and uh, in Congress, I do think that there's probably this mind game of, you know, well, every time you sit down, you have to negotiate, right? And like there's, there's the furthest left at the caucus that really want this. Yeah, the conversation probably comes up with, yeah, let's go ahead and give it to him. It doesn't matter. We'll die in the Senate. I don't think it's too far off from what she believes um, and and what a majority of Democrats in Congress believe, which is a scary thing, which why yeah. which is why I think it makes, you know, 2022 such a, a critically important election for Republicans. I mean, they have to take back uh, the House uh, to balance that power out um, and, and prevent things from just rolling through, uh, which is what honestly, Dave, if they had more votes in the Senate, I, I honestly don't know that it would change a whole lot. Uh, a whole lot of the policies coming over from the House. Maybe a little bit, but I don't think it would change a lot. And that's the scary part. Yeah, I I got a an email last night. I had, I had Bruce Westerman on yesterday, and, and we were talking uh, to the congressman, and he is going to uh, file a, a piece of legislation called the Voter ID Act uh, in Congress. Now, what he wants to do, the chances of it passing are minuscule. I mean, it probably won't even get a, a hearing. And I asked him that yesterday. I said, is this, you're filing this now so that it gets out there so you can start uh, educating people on it. And then you look at 2022, you guys get the uh, the, the House back, which I think they will. And uh, at that point, you move forward with it. And he said, yes. And one of my listeners said, I don't want them to do something in 2022. I want them to do something now. They can't get things done now. That That's the key. They can't get anything done, really, right now. We'll talk about that. People have got to understand what being in control of a House or of a Senate means. And it means a lot of things like who sits on committees and who uh, runs those committees and what pieces of legislation uh, get through and, and get heard in the committees or or get to the floor. I mean, that's all controlled by the Democrats right now. We'll talk about it when we return. Seth Mays is here. J.R. Davis is here. I'm here. We're talking politics right now. Don't I want to talk roofing. Let's talk roofing right now. P.I. Roofing is ready to take good care of you and get your roofing uh, uh, up to snuff. Uh, it's been. It hasn't been a tough winter, 
but it has been a winter. What can I say? It's been cold enough to freeze. Uh, it's been cold enough that we got a lot of snow. And when you put a lot of cold on top of your roof, you get that contraction going. And uh, a lot of the, the shingles, uh, the adhesive, it, it contracts, it cracks, so that when it starts getting warmer again, it expands. Today's going to be 70 degrees. It's going to expand, and it can cause leaks. What you need to do is to get PI Roofing out to inspect your roof. Inspect, what does that mean? Does that mean they just walk around your house, look up at the roof? No, it means that they get a ladder, they get up on top of your roof, they walk all over your roof, they they look around all of the uh, vents and things of that nature on top of your roof, make sure that they're sealed tight around them so no uh, water can get in and damage your roof. Uh, they walk across the roof and they, they tell if there's problems by how solid the roof feels. If a, when you walk on the roof, if it you know it kind of thuds as you're walking on it, you can tell that it's good. But if you're walking on it and all of a sudden it gets kind of squishy, means something's got to be taken a look at probably from inside the attic at that time. They're going to go inside your attic and start looking. Uh, they'll give it a great once-over. They'll tell you if there's anything wrong, if there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. They'll work with your insurance appraiser to help you get it done at the most cost-effective means possible. And on top of all that, they'll follow all the COVID-19 protocols that are in place right now. So keep in touch with PI Roofing, 707-3551, 707-3551. Get them out, talk to you really uh, uh, now before the spring rains really start so the rain stays out of your house and doesn't get in your house. That's PI Roofing, piroofing.com. All right, back with you, the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Dave with us is Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP, and also with us is uh, J.R. Davis, who's with Gilmore Davis uh, Consulting Group here uh, in in Arkansas as well. Guys, it's good to have you with us. Uh, Seth, you, get, you didn't get to sleep in today. Uh, you got to sleep in last Thursday because you'd come on on Wednesday with the, uh, the new uh, chairman of the uh, uh, Arkansas uh, Party. So, uh, Arkansas Party, Republican Party. Let me throw Republican in there. I don't want to make people think that she's joining up with Hendren or something. So, the bottom line is, uh, what's going over on over in the House? You guys have been following this really closely that uh, the folks here uh, on my show should know about. Anything coming out of Hammer and Gazaway's, uh, you know, changes of the powers for the governor in cases of emergency? Well, I, I think it's certainly going to have a hearing, um, and, and I and I think has a likelihood of passing once it it gets brought up, Dave. But as you well know, we're in the month of March, and at the end of this month, much of the directives will turn to guidance, and and we'll go from there. And I think as we continue to have the rollout of the vaccines, which every day, you know, I see more and more people on on my Facebook and in real life who have who have gotten their first or second shot and now we have the johnson and johnson one shot you know i think we're certainly and i want to be cautious because we thought this at one point last year as well but i think you know we have other other reasons to be pretty sure that we're on the downward trend um from this from this pandemic globally and and so i suspect some of those things that want to restrain uh some of the governor's executive 
powers are, are going to get passed. And I think, you know, broadly, just when you look at the office and you look down the road, regardless of who may or may not be the governor, you know, a, d- a decade, two decades from now, I think it's always good when the legislature reclaims some of the power they've given away over the years. I wish our our federal Congress would <laughs> would take a note on, on some issues like war-making powers and others uh, to that effect. So, no, I, I think the Hammer-Gasaway uh, measure uh, seems a, a pretty good chance to pass. I'm just not sure right now what timetable they're on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because, look, when they passed this piece of legislation all the way back in 1978 – I don't think that they thought that there would be an emergency of this kind. No one could foretell something like this was on, uh, you know, in the future. And to to give, uh, you know, kind of a, a power boost to the governor's office, which they've done with 78 from 1978, uh, I don't think they ever thought the governor would kind of keep saying, well, we're still in an emergency, so I, I'll make the decisions here. Do you think that that was the case uh, as far as that was concerned, uh, Jr. I mean, for instance, the 1978 bill, when it was passed, uh, gave the government uh, or governor the ability to go and start seizing guns. And guess what? They changed that about 10 years after it passed the first time. Uh, when people started thinking about it a little bit. So, you know, where are we? I mean, what's, what's the thought process at the uh, legislature? I guess that's the question I'm asking. Well, I mean, I think there's obviously a good deal of friction between the legislative and executive branch, um, specifically this session. I just think it's kind of been built up for a while. But, I mean, look, I think that this has been a – I mean, this is obviously a once in a lifetime, uh, you know, maybe once in a hundred year type uh, emergency in this pandemic. I mean, we've never seen anything shut down the world like this thing did. And so, I, you know, look, I think it was appropriate for the governor to have uh, these powers in the beginning. Um, I think it would have been very, very tough for the legislature uh, as a whole to make these decisions, especially at the very beginning of this, when it was uh, as rampant as it was. Um, I mean, you remember, Dave, even into the fall, we were getting reports of legislators who uh, had COVID and uh, had to isolate and things like that. So, look, I don't have a problem with it. I think the governor has handled this, and this is my personal opinion, but I think the governor's handled this the right way. Um, I think that, you know, he didn't bow to the pressures of shutting down the entire state like other governors did. He kept it open, um, and he made a big announcement uh, last week, uh, you know, talking about restaurants and things of that nature, um, you know, keeping the mask mandate. And so for people to complain about, you know, how this governor does it from other states, I think Governor Hutchinson has actually done a pretty good job balancing this out. Now, uh, did the legislature expect uh, something like this back in 1978? No, because I don't think anybody did. Uh, and and so did they expect a year-long type of emergency with the power to be directly, uh, you know, from the governor? Uh, probably not, you know. And so, you know, is, is there going – will something change on the emergency powers uh, side uh, this session? A hundred percent. Will the governor have less authority moving forward for emergencies? A hundred percent. 
but here's the deal. You know, when this when this uh, when this last uh, uh, declared emergency, this extension the governor announced last week with the mask mandate, you know, when it ends March 31st, you know, Governor Hutchinson, uh, you know, have about a, a little less than two years left in office, and so this is going to dramatically affect the next governor more than it will this one. Right. Um, and so we'll see we'll see what happens there, but. I mean, I would caution your listeners, and and as much as I appreciate the legislature, and I think they absolutely should have more authority uh, and more power in situations like this, we all saw back in March, April, May, there needs to be some ability to be flexible. Okay, I need you. I need you to hold your hold your thought there, Jr. We got the news. We'll come back and we'll pick it up. All right, let's continue on our Thursday edition of the show. Seth Mays is here from the uh, Arkansas GOP. J.R. Davis from, uh, of course, uh, Gilmore Davis Group. And uh, joining us and be getting into the conversation in a moment, Kenny Wallace is with us, wants to talk about some special elections. But before I uh, pivot and go to that that subject, let me talk further with J.R. Davis. He hadn't had a chance to finish his thought as we left the last half hour, go ahead, Jr. Yeah, just to simply wrap up, I just think it's it's important to be able to have that flexibility and be nimble uh, as a government in the time of, of emergency. And so, I think that's something that um, I think that's something that the governors considered. I think that's the same thing that that uh, uh, Hammer and Gazaway have, have considered as well. So, I, you know, all in all, I think something will change. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that there's that kind of thought in the back of your head for the need for, for a state government to be nimble when times call for it. Okay. I want to move uh, something that we've been trying to defend, uh, defeat uh, in the, the House and the Senate for years now has been special elections. The ability to call an election typically to deal with, uh, you know, a millage increase or a sales tax increase uh, in, a, in a county or whatnot uh, that does not take place during an election time. For instance, there's some special elections coming up here uh, in the next uh, week or two, uh, one in Cabot, where I live, uh, that I hadn't even heard about, and I just it was brought to my attention from, from Kenny Wallace, and uh, can he bring us up to date on what's going on in Cabot? I mean, it's only been, what, five months since we had the federal election, and now they want to have a special election? Why couldn't they have done this five months ago? Because uh, the local officials here are political cowards who want to raise taxes without um, and trying to sneak another tax increase past the voters. All right, so uh, that's why. you're telling me that it really has not been uh out there and been uh uh i guess uh, advertised very widely that this this uh election is coming no no a matter of fact i think the resolutions that passed for them were only done a few months beforehand uh i, I show a, a cabinet mayor proposed a 16 million dollar bond issue it was uh, wednesday january 27th of 2021 is uh, when and then I think the Heber Springs uh, announcement for that was only a few months before as well. Oh, uh, Cabot Mayor Ken Kincaid uh, for $16 million bond. And what I did is I, I looked up some of the 
the little pet projects they do here. What they what they do with these tax increases is they schedule them, of course, at a, a time to minimize voter turnout, and then they will add some items for police and fire, uh, usually in roads, items that they should have spent money on before but didn't, and they deliberately allow these things to fall apart, and then they'll add a pet projects to them. Um, now, for the one in Cabot, I have a, I made a video that has kind of the, the wish list of the one there. Uh, $20 million for Internet infrastructure. So I, I, I guess they're going to pay for the, the, the burying of fiber optic cable. My first question to that is why can't these companies like AT&T or Suddenlink or whatever company is up there do that on their own? Um, there are some items for road repair, police equipment, and fire trucks and police training, but there's also $7 million that's going for a new animal shelter. They already spent, I think, somewhere around $2 million on, a, on one animal shelter, but now they want to spend $7 million on that. Uh, to put in perspective, they're spending more money on the animal shelter than they are for, for police or fire equipment. Okay. Okay. And then, okay, go ahead. And then $20 million for park and recreation projects. And oh, no, no, that. no, no. We don't need any more parks and recreation. We already built a big <laughs> old water park out there in uh, in Cabot. I don't I don't think we need anything else as far as the uh, parks and recreation areas go. I mean, we got two, yeah. we got two big softball complexes out there that the, uh, the people of Cabot have sponsored and paid for, are paying for. And the same thing with the water park. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They want to add a wave pool at, at the aquatic park and then uh, baseball turf, and six additional fields. <laughs> and I guess they want to, They think they're going to turn themselves into Branson or, uh, you know, Disneyland. Uh, and, and that's the attitude of these of these city officials uh, that, uh, you know, neglect the things they're supposed to take. They're actually supposed to take care of and do another pet project. And um, I I was brought this was brought to my attention by. Uh, a conservative actress named Doug Warner, who uh, let me know about this. He actually used to live in Cabot, but didn't. But he um, he's the one who brought uh, sent this to me, since I'm one of the few uh, conservative activists that has campaigned against these tax increases. And so I, I looked this up, and, and sure enough, this is just massive amount of waste. Um, and wow. what's really sad, and this is a you know we're supposed to be a Republican supermajority state. You know, uh, we should have banned these special election tax increases several sessions ago, but we have too many Jim Hendrens and John Coopers and Asa Hutchinson's infesting the Republican Party. And um, they're still keeping these, uh, they still care more about the Chamber of Commerce and these uh, Democrat leftist uh, mayors and city council members and chambers of commerce than they do representing the people of Arkansas. Well, Seth, let me. Well, let, I totally disagree with that. Okay, uh, I appreciate that, but I don't think you can say that the governor of Arkansas cares more about leftist mayors than the people of Arkansas. I appreciate the thought, but I think it's wholly wrong, and that's what's wrong with the party right now is that there's such a gap between, you know, those. I mean, you can't, I, Kenny. I think you care about the people of Arkansas. I think the governor cares about the people of Arkansas. I think to say that somehow there's this. You know, niche agenda there uh, that is you know nefarious is just is wrong, and I think that's the kind of conversation that keeps dividing us uh, and prevents us from moving forward. Well, Seth, we have a Republican supermajority, and it 
and we had he just admitted to sabotaging the the, the stand your ground bill. Um, he's reluctantly saying that he's trying to push for hate crimes legislation. And now we have these scam special elections that I'm talking about right now, and we can't get that done. You know, I heard the phrase moving the ball forward. Uh, we, we have 75 Republicans in the in the House and a, a super majorities in both chambers. Well, I mean, what does the governor but, have to do with the special elections? Yeah, let me let me just jump in because I, by I the think way, this you're is JR. I don't want to yeah. push that off on Seth. So. <laughs> yeah, Seth is sitting over there going, I didn't say that. Uh, anyway, JR, yeah, JR was on this. Let me let me jump in and, and, and just say that I agree with JR that it's not the governor who's pushing special elections. What I think is happening is that school superintendents and I do believe the Chamber of Commerce are pushing uh, special elections, and that's the two uh, entities that are uh, holding together and and stopping this legislation from moving forward. I've I've had uh, House members and Senate members both uh, tell me that uh, well, my my superintendent called me and said I shouldn't vote for that. Uh, well, the people want you to vote for it and stop it. And uh, it's not like we're saying you can't bring it up at a, and uh, to, for a vote. We just want everybody to know when we're going to vote on stuff like that. I mean, that's what it comes down to. This has been going on since, uh, who was it, um, uh, who was the head of the uh, insurance uh, commission for so long, and he just retired from it. And um, when he was a House member, he was pushing this and, and couldn't get it over the finish line. And yeah. now, now we've got other people. Um, Dave, I think it was Dave Wallace who tried another session. And, and again, if Asa were a campaign to get rid of these special elections, the way he's campaigning for hate crimes legislation, it would have passed the House because it. It would. I actually put the vote up. It was forty six to forty six um, uh, when it was pushed for by David Ray in this session. I, I wish more legislation would be put forward that would uh, require the threshold, like you know, sixty, you know, a certain t- percentage of turnout for it to pass at all. Uh-huh. Um, well, I would say that, first of all, I, I support David Ray's uh, bill. I think he's spot on. I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, but I think the problem might lie elsewhere uh, uh, other than the executive uh, branch, and it might be within yeah. any of the 79 Republicans elected in the House. So, again, I think it's easy to lay the responsibility at the governor's feet when at the end of the day it's the legislature who makes the laws. So, I mean, that's, again, I support the bill. I think that David Ray is, is correct, uh, and we've talked about it numerous times. Uh, but but to just, when things go bad, just to blame the governor, it, it is kind of funny because we're, we're, we just talked about the first hour of the legislature trying to pull back more authority for themselves. In this case, they have the authority to move the ball forward, Kennedy. Uh, Kenny, and that's that's the whole you know, situation here. So again, it's just really easy, and I kind of think lazy to just throw it at the governor's feet when things go wrong. Well, I'm not blaming him entirely. I, like I said, I've mentioned the chamber of commerce before, but he again, he certainly has a part that he could play and isn't. Um, and uh, so I've talked about what's going on with Cabot. Uh, let me move on to Heber Springs. Uh, there are some conservative activists in this area, and I've posted links to them. Uh, Rhonda McCall is a conservative activist up in, in Cabot. She actually was going to have a meeting regarding this, and she actually had to have surgery. So, so once she's dealing with that, um, hopefully she'll have a meeting soon. 
to organize a bunch of uh, activists up there to knock on doors and make phone calls. And in Heber Springs, uh, there's uh, it is Jackie Martin, who's been mainly involved with the convention of states, but she's uh, a local activist up there, and she's having to fight against this. Um, and they have similar pet projects there. Uh, Heber Springs is a, they have a group called Moving Heber Forward, and it's a bond issue not to exceed uh, twenty million dollars. It says nineteen million. Um, and, part, and of course, some of it does does go to infrastructure, but they're also going to spend one point six million for trails, seven hundred fifty thousand for aquatics, four hundred thousand for sandy beach volleyball courts and pavilion, two hundred fifty thousand for uh, improvements to the park, and six hundred thousand for a splash pad, and two hundred thousand for something called the Young Man's Business Club. And I put the links to some of this wish list on your page, Dave, so people that are listening now can go to your Facebook page; uh, they can see the project list. I also made a video that describes some of this as well, um, as as well as the tax increase in Mountain Home, which is happening uh, also March the 9th. Okay, quickly, when is the when is the uh, vote going to happen in Cabot? I'm thinking it's like next week, isn't it? Yeah, all of these are March 9th, next week. Early voting's already started now. Okay. It started yesterday. All right, you stay with us, Kenny. I want to get to Seth when we come back, Seth. This is what we talked with the, the chairman with, and that was uh, we've got this supermajority up in the House and, uh, and in the Senate, but now it's important to get down into the grassroots and, uh, and get uh, conservative Republican ideas uh, in cities and in counties, correct? Absolutely. I don't know how much time we've got before break, but I— could expound on it now or wait till we come back you wait till we come back we'll be back in just a moment don't forget about st clarity's uh cleaning group uh residential cleaning they will clean up your house deep clean your house for really really uh great price for instance up to 1500 square foot it would cost you typically two a hundred dollars but if you go right through us here at the answer it's only going to cost you a hundred bucks to get it deep cleaned really get your house clean uh if you have between 15 and 2500 typically it's 300 dollars uh we're going to uh, give you a certificate that you can buy for 150 so you're going to save 50 percent uh we got more certificates coming you can call now let uh uh chuck know that you want one and uh, he'll have you on the list so that we can get it for you uh that number is 404-6560 404-6560 and again that is st clarity residential cleaning just so everybody knows the health care man will be on my show tomorrow uh during the 7 seven thirty segment we're going to talk to him about what makes him different and, and why what he offers is the better way to go. So he'll be with us uh, tomorrow here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But right now, I want to go back to Seth. And Seth, again, I want to come back. And this is something that we had the chairman on, uh, you know, with uh, uh, Janelle Fulmer. And uh, she said the, the big work that's necessary now is uh, getting the grassroots and the party together and fighting this battle in cities and and in counties, correct? Right, and we had pointed out then, you know, I I think one of the things the Democratic Party of Arkansas took the most pride in 
was a city council seat up in northwest Arkansas. And, I mean, you would have thought it was the Super Bowl, you know, that that one victory. And we said in jest maybe it was because they didn't have other victories, or you know, statewide in the Senate or the House. But I think part of that is just the idea of if they can keep getting folks elected to the school board and to their city council, that just makes better candidates for state rep, all right, or for county judge or the county clerk or for higher offices. And, I mean, quite literally, they have a group called Run for Something, which I just always get a little bit out of a chuckle for how uninspiring that sounds. Run for something, anything, you know. But part of that theory is just to get enough people, you know, past the tape at the end of the day uh, that they might be able to run them for for higher office and eventually uh, continue making policy. I think when you look at many of the Democratic activists that we've seen oppose something like, SB 24, the Stand Your Ground bill, you know, everyone yesterday was saying it was the darkest day uh, in the state that the governor um, signed the bill. And and they go on and on about how people don't, you know, the average Arkansan doesn't support this. And somebody said Monday, the only reason Republicans control this state is from all the voter suppression that they do. And I mean, I think they really believe this stuff, that the average, you know, Arkansan in Cabot to Mansfield, where I'm from, to West Fork, down to Lake Village. I mean, I think they really believe that those folks are liberals at their heart if we could just educate them, if we could just let them know that they're with us, they would believe that. And so now they're running all these candidates at the local races, and that's where we've got to meet fire with fire, so to speak, because as as we've mentioned, kind of a continuing thread through here, the legislature hears from a lot of people, but they're disproportionately Democrat right now. For instance, yesterday I talked with the state rep, and we were talking about the activist, and it got brought up that, you know, he, and he is in a very conservative district. I mean, very conservative, but his his inbox and in the text to his phone, if he had to guess, were probably 50 to 1 against Stand Your Ground from the Moms Demand Action types and from the activist. And, and he just has to do the best he can to go through there and discern who is a, really a constituent and who is a keyboard warrior in Little Rock and, and make the best determination about, okay, what, what is a true heartfelt concern from a constituent of mine and what is just talk? You right. know, and, and what's the talking points being sent out and make the best decision for what he believes his district how they would vote if, you know, if it was brought up for a referenda, even though he doesn't hear from those people. So that's where we could definitely be more engaged is, is making sure that our reps hear uh, those types of messages and making sure that our county officials get those messages as well. When we talk about um, the special elections bill, and by the way, another another reform was filed in that respect by Spencer Hawks of Conway yesterday to deal with special elections. But when we look at those folks that reach out, you know, if I'm a state rep and the only people I hear from are my school board or my superintendent, those are community leaders, as am I. Those are people I'm constantly in contact with. And if I don't hear from my constituents, I think I am voting the will of my constituents if the seven people I heard from feel one way about it because they're school board members or superintendents. Let let me jump in and and just bring this up. I, I had somebody text me. Uh, they asked to be anonymous. It's just said that uh, what they should do, he believes, is that the legislature says they let people vote on it. They should refer, make this a referred act to the people. It'll be on the next generation election ballot. It gets it out of uh, out of the House, making House members vote on it, so to speak. Then the superintendents and others would have to convince the voters 
why having special elections on weird days is a good idea. Uh, the superintendents yeah. argued to House members this last time that you can't take local control away from the people. Here's the key. You're not taking the control away from the local people. They're still going to vote on it. It's just going to be at a time when they're turning out to the polls for the most part. And uh, the people who are wanting these special elections are afraid uh, they won't get to be able to pass what they want to pass. All right. So uh, yeah, and the go, go ahead, Kenny. Yeah, the local control thing is usually a myth, too. Typically, most of these tax increases are bankrolled by, uh, you know, sometimes the state chamber of commerce as well as construction companies. I remember one was bankrolled by Baldwin and Shell, uh, which I believe is based in Little Rock. And then they'll often hire PR, public relation firms, uh, sometimes out of the out of town, sometimes even out of state. I remember one in Sheridan hired a, a consultant firm from Mississippi that turned out to also have been working for Planned Parenthood. Uh, and so, again, this, you know, there's the problem is, is we have a Republican supermajority, but there's a divide between the conservative activists who want to actually reduce the size and scope of government. And then the other side, you have the, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Jim Hendren, Asa Hutchinson, uh, Dan Douglas, John Cooper, Lincoln Project, Colorado. I just think it's hilarious that you do that. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. So you're, you're coupling uh, Jim Hendren, who left the party, who decided to leave the party, with Asa Hutchinson, who spent 40 years building the party, the party that you are an activist in, Kenny. So, I mean, it's so easy just to combine everybody together just because it's the easy thing to do. Well, but look, hi, I man. Jim Hendren, sure. okay. I mean, I think if you're going to try to fix the party from within, do it from within. We're going to pick this. We'll pick, together just because you we'll, think it's we'll easy. pick up this discussion next week, guys. We're out of time. I appreciate you day, being Kenny. with me. Thanks a lot, JR. Appreciate you. Thank you, Kenny. And thank you, Seth. <laughs> it's the Dave Ellswick Show. your car questions 8230965 is the uh, local number now we got people written into us but we want you to call in and talk about what's what's affecting you and now that we're moving out of winter and moving into springtime i guess we'll spend a few moments here sometime today uh talking about what you should be doing to get ready now that the the weather is changing going to be 70 degrees today it's nice. Uh, and it was nice yesterday. I was driving around uh, yesterday. Have you noticed the trees are budding? Mm-hmm. They're budding out. That means spring is now. Doesn't mean we won't have a cold flash yet. 
Doesn't mean that we couldn't even have snow again yet. But it does mean this. Spring is not that far away. That's exactly right. And that's why I tell you about PI roofing, because for the simple reason, the rains are about ready to descend on us uh, here in April. I don't know. They descended pretty good last week. Well, they did, but uh, rain here in Arkansas is at its height in April. Yep. That's when we get most of our rain. So if you got waterlogged last week, get ready. It's coming. It's coming. All right. So Joe and Duck are here. By the way, this is uh, COVID-19 shot plus two. I, it's been two days now since I had my COVID. And, uh, I look on your back. I don't see that third arm yeah, coming out. Yeah, my third arm's not growing, and my third eye is not in my forehead. So I'm doing good. Yep, I'm doing good. You might make it yet, Dave. I mean, all those anti-vax people that were saying, no, Dave, don't do it, don't do it. And I did it. And you know what? Here's the thing. If you don't want to get it, don't get it. But don't and, crop when you get you know, sick. And, and I'm just saying, that's what freedom is all about. Yep. You weigh. You weigh the pros and cons and decide what you're going to do. I've weighed the pros and cons, and I thought to myself, <coughs> probably not a bad thing at 68 years old to go ahead and get it. And you're a diabetic, Dave? Yep. Let me tell you, it is rough. I know for a fact. Well, you had it. I'm a diabetic, and it shut my kidneys down. It shut my stomach down. Really? I went a day and a half, no kidney function. That's not good. Plus, I went two and a half days at 103.4 to 104 fever. Did you have a lot of blankets on your bed? Seven. <laughs> and they'd come in about every three or four hours and change them with hot blankets at the hospital. Isn't it, isn't it really weird that you could run a fever, you feel <coughs> cold, but yet you're sweating? My teeth was rattling. Yeah. You get uh, you get cold. It just happens. and. I'm just saying I just think it's a good thing to do. That's why I take uh, a supplement for vitamin D. I take a supplement from vi- for vitamin C. And zinc is what they, they give me. They tell me. 2,500 milligrams four times a day of vitamin C and D and zinc. Okay. Well, I have, I'm not taking that much. I'm just taking 1,000 units but, above what they say is yeah. normal. And, uh, you know, I've been well. Yeah, good. that is wood. Yeah, <laughs> not good on the wood. So that's just the way it goes. All right. Well, let's get to cars. Here we got a guy. He's got a 2001 Honda Civic EX. It's a four-cylinder, 1.7 liter engine. He says, <coughs> prefaces the question with, "What could be wrong?" Question mark. When I start my car up, it has a rough idle, begins to shake, and if I switch uh, switch the gear. It completely turns off. The engine light is blinking very fast. One mechanic said I needed a new engine. Also lately, I've seen a leak under it. How about uh, some help here, guys? Well, you know, it's a 20-year-old car. Yep. We don't have any mileage. Uh, It's a belt-driven car. Uh, you know, the the light blinking tells us that it's got engine misfires. Yeah, for sure. And it's turning itself off. And and the reason why, uh, there, there could be 20 different things causing that, you know. It could be a coil, could be a spark plug, could be it, low compression. It goes on and on. You know, it's without bringing it to us and letting one of us check it, possibly it could need a motor. It could have a burnt valve in it. It could have a burnt piston in it. 
you never know until you just you got to put your hands on it and look at it yeah well surely the mechanic when he said you need a new engine he's probably done run all that yeah prefaced that and okay. said here's why you need a new engine i, I don't think we're getting the whole story yeah, we're not. It, it, it could have a cylinder low compression it could have blowed head gasket yeah between two cylinders and you got two cylinders dead it's got a leak underneath it doesn't say what kind of leak is it coolant is it uh, oh, oil power steering fluid yeah, transmission whatever. fluid yeah all right, so too, too many variables, Dave. Need to be took somewhere and let somebody check it or listen so, to his mechanic that he had. So just think about this. If your mechanic said you probably need a new engine, yep. and I know that's not what you wanted to hear. You wanted to hear that for $20 they could fix your car. <laughs> but here's the bottom line. Reality is reality, and your car is 20 years old. old. And Man. Ben, it's a Honda. That thing's probably, you know, t- it's probably got two or 300,000 miles on it. Sure. Probably, probably all of the issues are related. The you leak, know. the bad run, the dying, all of it. And, so, of the and so now you have to measure. This is when you get your scales out and you set them on the table. And on the left side, you put the pros. And then on the right side, you put the cons. And you see where the scales tip. You know, are you going to have to spend too much money to fix it so you continue to drive a 2001 automobile and not have to go out and buy a brand new automobile? Those are questions you got to you He's got to spend more than what the car's worth to fix it if it needs a motor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like you say, Dave, you got to sit down and figure out, if I put a motor in this thing, i got to drive it another three or four years to get any money back out of it. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the way to look at that is if he went and bought a new one, car payments, what, let's just say 500 a month. So there's been 6000 a year on car payments. Still have to pay for his maintenance items. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this car needs to be fixed. It's all going to depend on if it's $3,000 to put an engine in it or 4000 or whatever. That's just less than what one year's worth of payments are, but what conditions the rest of the car are in right That's now. what I was thinking. So yeah. you got to look at the transmission, look at the brakes. The steering, you got to just kind of look it over good to make sure. breaking down? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, because if it's got three or 400,000 miles, you know Joe, it's got other stuff to wear out to you. Unless it's had repairs done yeah. for other issues. And, Along the way. Yeah. Well, I'm but, just going to drive mine until I have to shoot it. So that's just <laughs> the way it is for mine. Mine's going to be 11 years. Well, it is. It's 11 years old now. So if you see a, uh, a Katie on the side of the road, it says live free on the back end of the bullet <laughs> hole in the middle of the hood. <laughs> It's dead. It was Dave's car. All right. Shoot All right. He walked <laughs> home. <laughs> no, excuse me. Joe picked him up on yeah, the way Joe home. Yeah, Joe picked me up. Lou has a 2016 Chevy Silverado 1500 LT, eight-cylinder, 5.3-liter engine. It says, my radio keeps changing channels. The radio would change channels by itself. Did it for months. You could push the button. It would go back to the channel you were listening to then change itself to another uh, in a minute or two by itself when it just stopped. Now the touch screen won't work. The display comes up, but when you touch it, nothing happens. Radio plays. You have to change channels with the knobs. Star works and CD player works. What do you think? Needs a new screen. Yep. Because the radio is not the screen. The radio is by itself. It's in the dash head. Okay. Best, all that does is just work it through the screen, through the body control module. 
All right. And, and the screen's gone bad. Is it worth changing out the screen or just getting used to using the knobs again? It's about a twelve to thirteen hundred dollar repair on that. Replace yeah. the screen, program it, and set it up. We yeah, do so. a bunch of them on the on the GMs, the Cadillacs, the trucks. Damn it! They have that particular year model had an issue with that, hadn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, it's come down some, yeah. And they've they've had that problem, but they used to be about twenty five hundred dollars to yeah. fix them. But they're, you know. Well, they've had to fix so many that they had to make more screens, so the price came down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just one of those things. I think that they actually, they they, they, uh, changed vendors on that. Yeah, we went from from one original vendor to to a new vendor to manufacture them. Yeah, and let's talk about that because with bumper to bumper, you guys get those parts from bumper to bumper and you get good parts and they take a look at that kind of stuff don't they well there's a lot of aftermarket companies out there like standard motor products and a lot of other manufacturers Dorman and all those guys if they see a particular part's got a problem and it's got a high rate of replacement they go in there when they build the replacement part they they expound on that and repair the original issue don't they Doug yes they do it's kind of like the 60 EGR cooler you know, Ford had a whole bunch of trouble because what happened, the oil cooler would stop up, and then it burned the EGR cooler out of it. So they went in and put three-eight stainless steel tubes in it. Mm-hmm. Cured all that problem. Okay. It's upgrade to what it is. Yes. So a lot of aftermarket parts like we get through bumper to bumper, they're an improved version of the original. And they'll say in their in their catalog, when you look that up, OEM equivalent, but that also tells us that it's OEM equivalent. But it's been improved. It's been improved if it's not from like a Motorcraft or an AC Delco or something like that. If it's a different vendor, you, you're, you're automatically assuming that is an approved version of that part. Who's the guy who comes on from time to time to talk about that? Cotter. Cotter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he talks about that. He, he he don't hang out here with us too much anymore. He's he's big wig now. Yeah, oh, he's got he? way yeah. above us. We're yeah. just beyonds. Yeah. Okay, well, we got to see if we can't get him back. We on. might get his uh, replacement. Yeah, his replacement <laughs> on. <laughs> well, the bottom line is this. They're looking at parts, and they're saying, yeah, we see the problems they got, and gosh, think about this. We can fix that. They fix it, and then you use them instead of the typical parts uh, people out there. And I'm not talking about bumper to bumper. I'm talking about the people who make the parts so that you know you got a better part than what the original was. You know, all car manufacturers, I don't care who it is, have issues in different year models for different issues, like the Ford's EcoBoost with the turbos leaking oil into the intercoolers and stuff like that, Duck. And then you got the GM with the grit display on the front of them. Yep. And then you've got, you know, all the other OEM manufacturers at certain times, whatever they build, there's a little issue here and there. So we're not picking on any one brand or anything no, like that. We're just telling people like it is. Well, look at Dodge camshaft problem. Yeah. I got one sitting there now. <laughs> I got a camshaft, but I ain't got no lifters. Okay. said so maybe next week I may get some. Yeah, they're getting <clears throat> certain high demand parts are getting hard to find. Part of that is COVID-19 related because yes. they had people that couldn't yes. work. Well, I I've got a Chevrolet truck, Dave. I need a I need a left front drive shaft. About yay long. About okay. eighteen inches long. Nobody's got one. Chevrolet don't even have one. 
Unbelievable. Bumper to bumper, nobody. Russell ain't got on the internet, can't find one on the internet. So it's sitting there until one becomes available. Yeah, because this one come out there in the snow. There you go. He got it stuck and cocked it to the left and gassed it real hard and kept holding it, and it finally come out. Didn't break nothing, just come apart, but it run it. I can't even, I, you know, I can get a kit to build it, but there ain't enough there to build. So it's pushed out back <laughs> so mm-hmm. I can find one. All right, so that's why these guys use bumper-to-bumper. Bumper. They great. know that the parts that's going to get are, you know, if they're not made by the the people who make your car or your truck, that piece that goes into your car, um, probably most cases, has been fixed to be better than the original piece that came out of it. Well, yeah, but you have to remember, automotive manufacturers don't make anything. No. They design right. and engineer, and then they put all the parts they want out for bid, and there's a vendor out there somewhere that makes those for them. Ships it to them. And I then they think. put it together and assemble it and sell the car. But, you know, as far as Ford Motor Company or GM or Nissan, they don't build anything themselves. No. They assemble it themselves. They design, engineer, and assemble. But they know they can get you the best parts. They can get you a two-year warranty and 24,000-mile warranty on all the parts. And uh, if something goes wrong, they're going to replace that part at no cost to you. That includes labor. All right, that's Bumper to Bumper. They do a great job. It's uh, 720. Let's get our first break in. We'll be back with Duck and uh, with Joe in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, uh, 2006. By the way, phone number 823-0965. 823-0965. If you want to talk to Duck and to Joe, <laughs> you can do so right now and uh, discuss with them any problems you're having with your automobile. Uh, 2006 Honda Civic EX four-cylinder 1.8-liter engine. My 2006 Honda Civic has 210,000 miles. Recently, it appears to be shutting off while I'm driving. It only remains off for one to three seconds before coming back on and continuing to drive normally. The check engine light is on. This loss of power while driving has happened almost 10 times. No issue starting the car, but the powering off happens shortly after driving. My battery is fine and the connections seem to be good. At uh, a parts store, I got the following codes. P0685, P2610. Any ideas? Well, yeah, I've got a couple of them there. The uh, Honda, it's a main relay issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and, I, I, and they have a whole lot of trouble with those in those year models. And and his what he needs to do is replace that main relay. It, and on an 06 uh, Honda Civic Center, the dash on the left side, right up underneath your left knee in it, Duck. Yes, it's right there by the steering column. Yep. And he needs to put that relay on there, and I think that's going to take. The P2610 tells yep. him that it's losing, it's losing fire. Yeah. And, and, and it. This is an intermittent issue. The contacts in there get arced, won't they? Do? Yeah, and the, sometimes it won't start. When it does start, it's gonna. It's not if 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 it's, if that circuit heats up, it'll it'll cause the engine to die and cause it to stop running and different issues. But that, that's probably what's wrong with it. 
Yeah, that's the first place I'd go. Put me a relay in it. You didn't go drive it, and that'd probably cure all his problems. Because the 2016 is telling him that he's losing votes. Okay, so something's shortened out. Yeah, it, the relay goes bad on them. They're con- notorious for that. Because electricity doesn't stop. No. Unless something is not letting it go through. The current, that's why they call it current. Yes. Uh, to break the current somehow. Yeah. It's, it's well, the PO685 is directly related to the main relay. Yeah. That main relay works fuel pump and some other things. So. Yep. All right. How much is he looking at, would you think? I think that relay is kind of pricey, but I think diagnosing it and the relay and putting it in, he's probably going to spend three, three and a half, something like yeah. that. Somewhere between three and four hundred dollars yeah. tax and all. That's not bad. But that'll probably cure his problem. Okay. So there you go. Got an answer on that one. 726. Uh, Jordan's got a 2005 Ford Escape Limited six cylinder three liter engine. Tail lights and brake lights are working together. So when I press the brake pedal, the rear turn signal lights uh, lights up as well. When I turn on the turn signal, the corresponding brake light blinks uh, with the uh, the turn signal. Any ideas on that one, guys? Yep. Okay, go ahead. Got either bad bub, bad printed circuit board, or could have the trailer lights tied yes. together. It doesn't say on here it's a Ford Escape. I don't know if they've got trailer lights wired into that yep. or not. But that's a lot of times you'll see what you have is a bleed over or a crossover. Because on the back of that vehicle, the 05, it's got two individual lights for the brakes, got two individual lights for the turn signals. Turn signals. But when they bleed across like that, you've got something that's uh, shorted together. Yeah. And and most of the time you'll go back there and you look at the trailer wiring and they've then mauled them together or the rats chewed them up or something. and, And that'd be first place I'd look if it's got a trailer hitch on it. Okay. I'd be looking at that trailer wire. Right. Yep. Second choice would be the uh, multifunction switch. Yep. And then you could have a bub that's this bad and shorted to get you know shorted yep. across. But there again, it's, it's got to be put a hand on it. And yeah, somebody you need somebody to take a look at. Yeah, it. Got to put a hand saying. on it, and you can. And, and it probably won't take no more than probably thirty forty minutes to fix the problem. But you got to put a hand on it. Okay. Could be simple as a bub. Could be simple as a wire on the trailer hitch. We see a lot of cars that the bulbs are replaced, and it looks the same. Somebody, well, I've just put a bulb in there. It's still either dim or too bright, or it's coming on when it's not supposed to. And what's happened is they've put the wrong bulb in it. Yes. And these cars have what they call lighting control monitors. And he says, well, the light on the dash is still coming on, saying my left turn signal's out, but I turn on, it's blinking. It's got the wrong resistance in it. And the lighting control module says that bulb's not working right. Yep, and it's in his, and it's just the improper bulb. It's the wrong one. And they're right; it's not working right. Yes, it's blinking when it shouldn't be blinking, or whatever. So uh, keep that keep that in mind. And this is when you need to take it to the technicians and let them work on it for you, and they'll they'll fix it. Unless you happen to be an electrician yourself, and you can do it yourself. The bulbs need to have the exact number on it that it was born with. Make sure you put it in the the right place yes because if you don't you can create other problems so if i have that problem i'll be seeing you joe okay okay just let you know all right we got rush coming up we'll hear what rush has to say and then we'll come back next car we'll look at is a 98 honda civic with a uh, 1.6 in it that's coming up on the dave ellswick show hey it's 25 minutes until eight o'clock and uh, we are back 
with Joe and Duck. They're answering car questions for you, helping you out. If you call 823-0965, they'll talk directly to you uh, with your particular problem and try to help you out to figure it out. we got a call right now. And uh, who who are we hearing from, Heidi? Paul in North Little Rock. Okay, so Paul, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show and your question for Joe and Duck. Joe and Duck, we appreciate you uh, gentlemen coming on the show and uh, always you. answering our questions. I brought my car to 2018 Chevy Cruze LT Hatchback to Jiffy Lube before for oil change, and they put 0W20 in it. And then when I brought it to Walmart last week, they put 5W20 in it. And I searched that on, like, Chevy Cruze forum boards. I don't know if it's the manufacturer saying to do that. Why would they change uh, the oil type all of a sudden? And they changed it uh, to a a Dexos 2. Yeah. GM did that. Okay, so it yes. was from the manufacturer. Yes, it, w- it was. It was. It was mandated from them. Excellent. That is what I needed to know. Appreciate you, gentlemen, very much. Thank that, you. That's, that's being very observant, uh, and and you know we we tell folks all the time that if whoever does their oil changes for them, they need to put back what exactly what it was born with, the weight, and whether it was a full synthetic, a synthetic blend. Now, if a zero, any zero weight <laughs> oil is always a full synthetic. Now, you can have a synthetic blend at a 520 or something like that, but if you get to zero weight, it's always 100% synthetic. Excellent. Thank you. You're Thank right. you. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. And it's that easy. 8230965. Yeah, you're right. That's observant. Most people wouldn't even yeah. pay attention to that. He's, he's, he's monitoring it and taking care of it, making sure they put the right stuff in there. And that's yeah. what he needs to do. And, and most people don't ever be, look at that. He'll be calling back in 10 years, if I'm still here, calling back in 10 years <laughs> and saying, you know, my car, they put a different kind of oil. <laughs> but GM did that because they've had some trouble. Okay. So that's why they, they went back and changed it because okay. they've had a little trouble. By the way, I have there's a type of oil I haven't seen. I haven't seen Quaker State very oh, it's, often. It's are, still out there. Are they still out there? Oh yeah. I'm not sure why, but yeah, they are. <laughs> You're not a Quaker State lover, huh? No. Okay. I'll be honest with you. I've tore down a lot of engines in my life, and the ones that I saw sludged up the worst, Quaker State had a Q on the front of the can. Oh, okay. How about right. you, Duck? Yeah. He's shaking his head. Number two, although they've gotten a whole lot better. They have. Started, I'm sure they have. Started with a P. Yeah. Both of them. Liquid ball bearings. That's, That's all right. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, they're back, both of them companies have got a lot better than they used to. So. Yeah. You got yeah, to and, if you want to stay in business. Everybody's <laughs> oil is better than what it used to be. But yes. there's still some oil out there that you want to stay away from. All right. All right. You gonna name it? No. Okay. Now, I I'm I'm a, a parts master, which is made by Valvoline. Yes, and that's what we sell. Right. Me too. It's good stuff. All right. Nineteen ninety eight Honda Civics. I told everybody we we're going to talk about it. It's a DX four cylinder, one point six liter. I've got a ninety eight Honda a Civic D sixteen Y seven. So my AC can, uh, pr- compressor belt broke, so I bought a new one and put it on, and my car started, but it started smoking and squealing really bad, and then wouldn't start up again after 
that, I realized the AC compressor is seized up. I did some research. Apparently, you can run the car without the AC belt. So I took it off, tried to start it up, and it almost started up, but it still didn't turn over. So it was cranking, but it wasn't running. All right. And what could be the problem? I'm completely stumped. I think that it probably was cranking so slow with the belt on there with the seized up compressors. Compressors probably just yeah. spraying a lot of fuel in there and soaked everything and down. It's just probably just flooded. If he lets it set a few days, it may restart. If not, he'd probably have to pull the plugs out and clean them. Clean them, yep. And, and they set in there. That's about what's happened, you know. And then he, you know, he said when he did crank, then it, you know, it smoked and squealed. So, mm-hmm. and the compressor broke the first time because the compressor locked up on it, and burned the belt off of it. Mm-hmm. It was probably squealing and smoking, you know, before the belt broke too. Okay, yeah, but because the smoking is probably coming from the belt, right? Yeah, oh, and yeah. he he soaked it trying to get it to start with a new belt on it. I've seen them six liter Ford, Dave, the compressor lock up on them. And you swear the motor's locked up until you take the belt off. Absolutely. You'll see that on several different vehicles. Yeah. It'll lock them up, and you swear the motor's locked up on it. Pull the belt off of it. Like right up. The belt literally is stopping the motor. From turning over. Some of the late models with the serpentine belt, the big wide ones on it, seven, Mm -hmm. eight groove. Yeah. If you have a component that that belt's driving, some accessory, alternator, AC compressor, power steering pump, anything that belt's driving if that unit seizes when you hit that key that compressor tries to turn it'll pull that belt so tight that it won't let the engine turn over yeah and this is a eight groove belt on a six yeah. six oh but i've seen it like people yeah. bring them in on the record and tell me the motor's locked up yep been there done that you know interesting yeah i've never thought that a belt i thought a belt would break that the engine was strong enough to break it well, these serpentine belts has got piano wire in them, oh. and that's that's how they make them so strong and make them last so long. Then they're made, you know, they're made out of the good rubbers too, you know, too. But you take, like Joe said, a six to eight groove belt, and some of your eighteen wheelers has got a twelve and a sixteen groove belt on. They're that wide. Okay, you're doing about six inches wide. Yeah, they're that wide, and 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 that's what it takes to pull everything. You know, when you you're pulling a a 325-amp alternator, you know, AC compressor, you know, it, it takes it to pull it. You need some strength for that. Mm-hmm. And it can work against you at times. All right. Uh, next question, then we'll take a break. Uh, 2002 Honda Civic LX four-cylinder 1.7 liter. Now, let you guys know I jumped one because it's a one-sentence question yeah. and it makes no sense. Exactly. Uh <laughs> You guys saw it too, all right. Bypass transponder keys, question mark. I've got two Honda Civics. I took the entire ignition assembly off one, put it on the other. However, it still isn't starting. Is there a way to bypass or reset ECU or key or transponder without the cost of the dealership? On that car right there, that transponder, if he took it off another car and put it on that one, he's going to have to program that one to that ECU. Yeah. Just because he changed them, he's still not reading it because they don't know it's there. Yeah. Yeah, that's the key. People just don't, they're still having a hard time grasping, is that you can't just interchange parts like you used to. Yes. Everything has to be programmed nowadays. 
when you take that key out of your pocket and you stick it in the ignition around that the lock and key cylinder, the hole where you stick the key in, they have a halo. skim ring, a halo. When you put that key in there, it activates that key and it talks to it. It pings it. It says, hey, who are you? And that key transmits a number. That transponder sends it to the ECU and the, and, and the BCM and the instrument cluster. And it says, okay, right one, okay, right one, okay, right one. Hey, we've got the right person. Go ahead and let it start. And all this happens in the time it takes you to pull the key out of your pocket, stick it in the ignition, and turn it to the crank position. Pretty amazing. To be that honest. quick. Just Very like quick. That. And if you change any of that, the other pieces don't know you've changed it. So you have to go in there and tell it you changed it. And either reprogram it, reflash it, and tell 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 it the right, correct information. It's not going to function right, correct? No, it'll never start until you program it. That's important for everybody to understand. There's all kinds of computers in your car. They all talk to each other, and if they're not giving each other the right information, your car don't start or it runs like crap. What he did, what he did right here, he did that because the lock and key cylinder went bad on his car. Yes. Now, if he takes his old key, if he leaves the old skim ring in there, takes his old key and ties it under there with a wire tie right close to it, he could use the new lock and key cylinder with a new key because the, the security will recognize the old key. The old key. And how many of you tore the t- two pieces off and looked under their duct and there's a key hanging there? Yeah, right beside it, tied to it. <laughs> We've seen that before. He can do that, but if he want if he wants to do that without having to take it anywhere, that's the only chance he's got. Yeah. Okay. Put and you don't kids. have to t- typically. You don't have to take it just to the dealership. No. Uh, no. It's, you know, it's you go over to a bumper to bumper certified service center, and they can take care of it for you. All right, we got to get a break in. It's uh, a quarter till eight o'clock, and when we come back, Rose has a two thousand and two Mitsubishi Lancer ES four cylinder two liter engine in it. And she wants to know about the mounts for the engine. We'll talk about that when we continue with Joe and Duck here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget that, uh, you know, planning for retirement really should be an easy deal, but you got to know the questions that you need to be able to answer. That's really important. And getting the questions, you know, a lot of people want you to have to come in and sit down and talk to them and let them give you a whole spiel about how you need to use their firm and all of that. David Lucas will give you a brochure. It's got the 31 questions you need to be able to answer, and he knows this. If you want to be able to answer those questions correctly, concisely, and clearly, you'll come in and sit down and talk to him and uh, be ready for your retirement when it gets to be that time of your age. The Ultimate Retirement Planning Checklist. I'm going to tell you the easy way to get it. Go to davidlucas.com davidlucas.com and listen to his show on Saturdays at 10 a.m. right here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, Rose has a 2002 Mitsubishi Lancer ES, four-cylinder, two-liter engine in it. It says, why is my car not shifting correctly after motor mounts were replaced? She says, my car has 212,000 miles. I just had the motor mounts replaced Monday. As of Sunday night when I drove the car to the garage, it was shifting fine and had plenty of power. When my son picked it up, he noticed that it, he noticed that it go, go, does a slight bump when it shifts now. And when you give it gas, the RPMs go way up, but it has way less power. Not making this up. 
the garage is very defensive and they're trying to blame it on the parts that I supplied. I'm not going with that excuse since the parts are not mechanical or electronic. They can't even get their stories straight about whether fluids were added or not. When someone there added, let me find the rest of this question here. Added, where is it? Oh, there it is. Transmission fluid. And now it's way over full. My husband is pretty familiar with the workings of cars, but he's not a mechanic. He believes it's electrical, electrical as if something wasn't reconnected properly or, or something like that. It doesn't quite sound like it's because of the overfull transmission fluid. Thoughts. Now, let me just say one thing here. As you listen to that question, the person who's talking figures they didn't make any mistakes at all. So let's just move on from there. Well, they did make a big mistake. Yes, Actually, two people made a mistake. One, the shop that was working on it, let the lady or the folks that own that vehicle bring their own parts. In my shop, and I don't do it at all, period, you cannot furnish your parts for this exact reason right here. And me and Duck deal with this daily. People come in and they want to say, well, I need this service done and that service done. And and they'll say, give me a price on a tune-up, for example. Cars needing it because of mileage, it's a maintenance thing. You say, okay, I'll give you a price on that. And we price what filters and plugs and the labor and cleaning the throttle body and the mass airflow, everything it does to do the job properly. To make it run right. That's correct. And then you'll ask the customer, now, is this vehicle running right? And he'll say, no, that's why I want it tuned up. And then my my statement to him is, and Duck's going to be to his customer, well, you know, you're not hiring me to fix that car or truck. You're hiring me to work on it. Now, you're diagnosing it. If if you want me to diagnose it, I'll be fixing your car because there are about 25 other things that make it run bad other than tuning it up. It'll be a mass airflow sensor with a hair on it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, and and there again, Joe, I had a guy, when I first opened up, a guy come in and handed me four struts. Bought them off the internet. Yeah. I said, did you get the caps to go along with these? No, my caps are good. Put my caps back on. Uh-oh. So I got it apart. They was off. All four broke. Mm-hmm. Called him. I said, hey, I need caps. He said, well, go ahead and get me some. So I got him put them on. Next day, he was back gripping. He said, I still got a rattle in front of my car. I said, well, then these two sway bar brackets, too. They're wore out. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what about my struts? I said, it, it needed them, too. The car had 200,000 miles on it. Uh-huh. Never had struts. Had the original struts. Well, he wanted me to fix it for nothing. I told him, no. And he got mad at me and stormed out the door. Yeah. And I haven't talked to the guy since, and I was, I was kind of friends with the guy. Because that was the only reason I let him bring his parts, because I was kind of friends with him. Yeah. Well, it doesn't take long to learn them lessons, does it, does No, it, it don't. And, you know, and I, I just refuse to, because I get in trouble every time I've done that. I've got in trouble. Well, they expect it to fix everything. They've been someplace else. You know, the biggest biggest issue I've got right now, Duck, and I'm sure you see it too, a guy will come in and say, I need a PCM from my car. Yes, I've got a Dodge right Why now. Why do you need a PCM? Well, I had it over at this other shop. He's already diagnosed it, but he doesn't do that kind of work. Yeah, he can't program it. Why would you want a guy that can't do the job to tell you what's wrong with it? Because I'm going to tell you, computers get blamed for a lot of things, 
Yes. Because the guy don't know how to fix it. He doesn't know how to diagnose it. So he passes it off as it needs a PCM or an ECM to get you out the door and charge you the diagnostic fee. But that's when you take it to a shop that can perform that service, if you walk through the door and say, program this PCM for me, you're making the biggest mistake. I that, promise that you. That could be anywhere from a $500 to a $3,000 mistake. Yes. Put a PCM in it and program it. Okay. Still don't run. You're not hiring us to fix your car. You're hiring us to work on it. Yes. And let, and let me say what Joe always says. They don't work on cars. They fix cars. We don't work on cars and trucks. Duck we does fix the same cars thing. and trucks. And we don't, we don't guess. We test. I had a customer. He's got a 6.7 Ford. Come in running problems. Low fuel pressure. Got a PO88 code in it. Pulled the, right, the left rail off because that's where the, the sensor and everything is. Popped the plug out of it. Shook it. Guess what fell out? Metal fell out. Mm-hmm. Pulled the lines off all the injectors. All the injectors full of metal. Called a guy, and you're looking at somewhere around $11,000 to fix it, Dave. Oh. And he had a fit to me, to Russell. He pissed Russell off so bad, Russell told him to come get it. Mm-hmm. He put it back. It still run, as long as you don't accelerate it hard. You accelerate it hard, then it loses the fuel pressure, and it goes into D-rate. And the guy said, I'm going to carry it home and park it. I don't have $11,000. over owe $33,000 on the truck. The truck got 104,000 miles on it. But you don't need a diesel, don't own one. I tell people every time. That's people what call you me always the tell them, Duck. Get the gas burner, don't get the diesel. Sit down here and let's figure out what you're going to do with this truck. To service the diesel truck's about $250. Service gas burner, on average, $65. A lot of maintenance to a diesel truck. And if you, I've seen them down there, Dave, with 35,000 miles of high pressure pump be down on them, send it to Chevrolet. They're not going to warrant it. I promise you. They're going to set that little bottle up there and say, you got fuel contamination. And that's their way out. Exactly. Spending that. Every time. Spending that. If it's a Chevrolet and you go to Chevrolet or GM, you're looking at about sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars $17,000 to fix it. It's a Ford, fourteen to sixteen thousand. But they're not going to fix it. They're going to set that bottle up there, and they're going to show you the bad fuel, and then they put it in a computer, and you can't take it to another dealer, Dave, because it's been black flagged. Okay, so now here's the question: Then, if you're just if you're a concrete cowboy, all right? Yes. And that's your job. I mean. Is this just something that you just got to figure out somewhere along the line you're going to end up eating this, or is there any way to avoid it? Nope. There is no way. What happened is the camshaft inside the high-pressure pump has got ceramic on it. The ceramic coating starts coming off. It looks just like metal, but it will not stick to a magnet. Shiny just like metal. I've seen it two inches deep in the fuel tank. You've got to clean the whole fuel system, plus you have to replace all the injectors, the high-pressure pump, all the rails, all the sensors. Every time he says he's going to replace something, I hear cha-ching. Cha-ching. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) cha-ching. And and it's the one, you know, when you used to watch the old cash registers, 
When it was cheap, it just went had one dollar sign. Yeah, and the higher that. it went, you got two and three. Yeah, <laughs> that was always when you pull the handle on it, cha-ching. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and it didn't print out nothing. The little numbers come up on the little display. Yeah, yeah. You, you owe me two dollars. Typed it in, you another thirty cents. Are oh, you two dollars and thirty cents? And it just, uh, I like that. Yeah, that's. Wish I had one of them. Talking about how old I am by talking about that, but well, it, you could it, teach math that way to your kids. You say, "What's what's a dollar and sixty cents plus another forty cents?" Push that button and pull that handle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> tell you. Thank tell you, Dave. You. Well, appreciate you guys coming in and, and doing Thank the show. You, They'll be back with you again next Thursday. Uh, just like that listener said early on in the show. Uh, I do this because everybody's got a car. If we were still riding horses, I'd have a bet on. Yep. I'm, I'm just saying, I'd have yeah. a bet talking about what kind of problems horses have and so that you would know it. And there's different breeds of horses that have different kinds of problems. So Same way with vehicles. Things that, yeah, mm-hmm. people need to know these things. And you need to have the information so you can make the right decision so you're just not blowing your hard-earned cash. But don't ever furnish your own horseshoes. Yeah, I got you. All right, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't shoe my horses. That's and I don't fix my car. <laughs> Joe does that. All right, thank you, Dave. I'll see you guys next week, Joe. I'll yes, see you sir. Saturday. Yes, You're on this Saturday for the Car and Truck Doctors at nine o'clock. I'll be back with you tomorrow at six a.m. Robert to be on, and so will Chris. We'll hear from the healthcare guy, and we'll also hear from Matt Smith. So. We'll cover a wide range of topics. See you at 6.